Contra is friction. Contra is Contra is nuanced. Contra, Contra is, is transgressive. Good trouble. Contra, Contra is, is collaborative. Contra is a podcast. Is a space for thinking about design critically. Contra is subversive. Contra is texture. What is queer crip fashion? In this episode of Contra, I talked to Sky Kubakub, a fashion designer known for their colorful lycra, mesh, and chainmail designs. We discussed Sky's rebirth garments and radical visibility projects, as well as how specific materials shape their approach to design. Welcome to Sky Kubakub, who is here today to talk to us about rebirth garments. Um, I'm so excited to be talking to you. We've been in touch for a few months um, around the work that you've been doing on queer crip fashion and other things. So, um, and I'm especially excited to talk to you about fashion because that is a realm that this podcast hasn't gone into yet. So, oh, awesome! That's exciting, then. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, maybe to get started. Uh, so, I'm just really um, interested in what's happening on the screen right now. So can you oh, tell yeah. us a little bit about the space that you're in? <laughs> so right now I have three other people in this space with me and I moved the, the puppy so you wouldn't hear her barking. Um, but okay, so I guess over here I have my collaborator Vogues Hi. and uh, over in the back my collaborator Compton. Hello. We have been meeting today about our second collection for the Radical Visibility Collective. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I can show you a zine from that. Um, it's a collection of both, uh, oh, no, thanks, uh, both clothing and also music, mm -hmm. uh, where all of the music are, the, the lyrics are audio descriptions cool. of all of the outfits. So this zine that I have here is basically like a glorified lyrics book. Um, and it has like, like each model has a spread. And we have me here and it says pink three quarter turtleneck crop circular cut out on the chest don't stop. Dripping with meta male chains on the hip, shoulder shimmy shake shake dip. Nice. <laughs> so we're working on the second one. Vogue's is the music director. Compton and Vogues and I are all doing the the designing of the clothing together and making the clothing. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, and then over here, I have my new intern, Diane. They just started today. So I'm giving them things to cut out. And that's what I am kind of playing with right now. Um, like on the screen, you can see me like taping stuff together and then I'll hand uh hand them this pattern for like a singlet uh and I'll have them cut out the trims and things like that because we're actually doing an impromptu photo shoot today uh we decided that you know I decided yesterday to do this photo shoot and I'm trying to just make it really clear that I make swimwear because uh, a lot of the clothing that I do can double as swimwear. 
Um, but I think that people, because they see me being like, oh, this is, you know, lingerie, this is, uh, this is dance wear, this is swimwear, this is different kinds of active wear, then uh, it's like so many things going on. And I'm just trying to make it very understandable. Um, so I'm doing kind of these like rebirth basics uh, that are not as heavily color blocked, which means like using a bunch of different colors, uh, just doing like the most simplified versions of all the outfits mm-hmm. uh, that are still radically visible. They're still very pattern and colorful, but just just a little bit more, uh, yeah, simple to understand. Mm-hmm. Cool. So is this your studio then? Yeah, this is my studio. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. So we're, I mean, there's not going to be a video of this podcast, but what yeah. I'm looking at is like, you know, tons of really brightly colored garments and uh, stacks <laughs> of fabrics and materials and things like that. It's really exciting. Um, yeah. I really love the aesthetic of sewing. And um, I, I think I mentioned to you in the... Uh, in the email that I sent earlier this week that the way that I got into studying design was actually through fashion and hacking fashion. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's like a big part of my life. And there's actually a room in my house that's like all this sewing art and then also where I do my sewing and stuff. So um, I'm excited to talk with you about where you've been taking this and kind of like why fashion matters and things like that. Um, Because it's in some ways, in my experience, fashion is actually really close to architecture. Totally. Relationships, like even the drafting is very similar. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, But then, of course, there are differences in terms of like the materials and the individualization of fashion and stuff. So um, to get us started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, kind of what Rebirth Garments is um, as Mm -hmm. a project and um, how you got to working on it. Yeah, so Rebirth Garments is not just a clothing line, but I guess it's all kind of under the guise of a of a clothing line, but it's also educating folks. I have the the Radical Visibility zine, uh, which uh, the first issue is my manifesto. Um, will you hand me the manifesto zine? Um, and yeah, it has a nice picture of me on the cover with Alice Wong of the Disability Visibility Project and my friend Nina Lidoff. Uh, we're all modeling outside of Alice's house in San Francisco and wearing very brightly colored clothing um, and chain mail and some knit stuff. And um, yeah, the manifesto is all about this queer crip dress reform movement. And uh, you know, claiming our bodies, really putting ourselves out there, taking up space, taking up visual space, uh, and refusing to be ignored. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that that's kind of the main part of the clothing line. And then, uh, making the actual clothing is like slightly secondary, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more about trying to promote people, uh, to be more radically visible if they feel safe doing it, um, you know, but like pushing the envelope in spaces that you feel safe so that, um, you know, it can help 
kind of change people's minds about what dressing is and the the power of of clothing and um yeah i guess just just um yeah being like stareable mm-hmm. in different ways <laughs> yeah And I think that your work is such a good example of how um, an argument or set of ideas can be translated into the materiality of something. And so I wonder if you could just describe your aesthetic a little bit for people who haven't encountered it before. Yeah, so everything that I do is pretty much all spandex. I chose the material spandex because it is my favorite material to work with, but also because um, the stretchiness allows for more body fluctuation type things. I'll do other stretch fabric things too, if if people need um, like cotton to, for like, if they have different sensitivities. Um, But yeah, so I generally use spandex and it's all very bright colors. um, And I use lots of geometric patterns I'm really like, I guess, I coming back to architecture, I, I was very inspired by the architect Buckminster Fuller. Mm. So uh, loving that, you know, his houses were both very functional, but also had like kind of like a space, like completely futury space aesthetic that didn't fit in with like anything else at the time. You know, his like Dymaxion car, was like a car he invented when all the other cars were Model Ts. And it just looked like a rocket. Like, mm-hmm. it looks so, like, wild when you see them next to each other. Um, so I, I guess I am definitely inspired by that idea. And, um, yeah, like this idea of queer crip futurism. And, yeah, kind of looking like like aliens kind of looking like superheroes uh, being very, but like still like, but still rejecting the idea of like having to be like a super crip in order to be mm-hmm. valued. Um, but, but yeah, I just, for me, I need to kind of dress up and look like a superhero to feel like I have the confidence or like, like just to be able to go outside and have the world uh, see me, I need to put on my my armor, my my literal chainmail armor, and my uh, soft spandex armor in order to feel like strong. <laughs> yeah, um, I was remembering that in your manifesto, there's this whole part about the chainmail um, where you talk about how making the chainmail has actually altered your body um yeah yeah i think that's so interesting can you just tell us a little bit for first of all for people who don't know what chainmail is could you just describe it and then yeah tell us about what it means to make it yeah so chainmail is a process involving uh two pairs of of flat nose pliers uh that are special special ones for chainmail uh and using those to open and close hundreds and thousands and zillions of little tiny rings called jump rings. And those are made using wire of different materials. I mainly use aluminum, um, but you can use stainless steel, you can use sterling silver, you can use much more expensive metals. Um, 
and you link them together in different patterns that are called weaves. So the normal, like the or the most iconic chainmail weave is a weave called European four in one, and it's this like mesh weave that um, you know they used in European armor. But there is chainmail from all like different places in the world. So there's uh, there's families of European weaves, there's families of Japanese weaves, there's Persian weaves, uh, there's even Filipino chainmail, which I'm Filipino, so uh, I get very excited looking at that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I definitely want to look that up. I'm Persian, so oh, I nice. to uh, see what the Persian weave looks like. Oh, I love the Persian weaves so much. I use them for my chainmail out of chainmail. Um, it's really good for, yeah, making like rings. Oh, cool. Like, Cause it's a, there's a weave that's very round and then there's ones that are like, um, kind of rectangular shaped. And then there's ones that are like half circle shaped. So they, they, I think have maybe the most interesting structures. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of like, if you could knit with wire. Yeah. 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 It's very similar. And so this is something that, as you mentioned, was used um, in actual like battle armor. And, yeah. And then you have used it um, in fashion and it's sort of integrated with these spandex garments that you make. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I almost always am wearing a scale mail, which is like a cousin of chain mail, where instead of some rings, it's like a little metal scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like kind of... Uh, a plate armor idea so it's like something that um like chainmail is not a good defense against arrows or stabbing blows um it's more it's better for like blunt uh like slashing Mm. um but scale mail is a little bit more protective in other ways uh, because it's like little tiny plates um that overlap um but yeah, so I I wear this stuff because I used to be like grabbed a lot on the street as a a young teenager, uh, as a person who is pretty small and uh, reads as a girl, and also I'm like, yeah, I'm Asian, uh, so people just like to really like to mess around with me a lot when I was a teen and it was very disheartening um so I started wearing these like metal headpieces and makeup that looked like tattoos and that like became a huge defense for me so that people wouldn't mess with me Mm. (laughs) like physically yeah what this is like bringing up for me is um you know Alice Wong who you mentioned before who modeled for you yeah wrote this story about disabled people surviving the apocalypse and yeah and showing other people how to do that and i feel like you're literally helping us figure out like how to adorn ourselves in the apocalypse or yeah apocalypses that are happening right now by kind of like creating armor that is also aestheticized and you know makes some sort of argument and i'm also so struck by um so like i i probably you do this too but i spend a lot of time thinking about draping um, Mm -hmm. the way that different materials drape and there's such a distinct difference between a knit and a weave and it seems like chainmail also 
kind of takes us into this whole other place. And there are all these metaphors too, right? Like the weave is like this straight grid and the knit and the chain mail are these kinds of like entangled meshes. Yeah. Do you think that that says something about queer crip culture too? Definitely. I used to, I think I wrote a paper in my sophomore year of college about how I think that chain mail yeah represents community it also represents like polyamory it also represents um being trans um i mean it was like kind of cheesy this uh this paper that i wrote because it was like oh you know chainmail is both like being penetrative and penetrating or uh, yeah being penetrated and penetrating at the same time it only works like uh, it only works if all of the rings are working together. Um, it, you, and like, yeah, like, yeah, I just think of it as a metaphor for our community. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I feel like there's so many places to take that and kind of explore. Um, as you said, like the meanings of the different types of, um, it's, what are they called? What are the patterns called again? Weaves. Weaves, Yeah. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, kind of like making and designing for disability culture and yeah. queer crip disability culture. Yeah, I mean, my clothing is is centered on queer and disabled folks um, of every size and every age and um any background or culture so um yeah I guess it's the whole line is made by me I'm um I'm queer I'm non-binary I'm Filipinx I'm I'm a hapa so I'm like half white half Philippine um I have had like lifelong uh you know, kind of psychological disabilities, like, and like anxiety, panic disorder, um, depression that really shaped, um, you know, most of my childhood up until basically up until I graduated from college that affected me a lot. Once I was able to run my own company and do it on my own time and, um, you know, recognizing, uh, yeah, how my brain works, then I was, it, it's not, it's, I mean, it's definitely noticeable, but, uh, it doesn't affect me in the way that it did when I had to follow other people's structures. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, in college I had this like kind of sudden stomach disorder thing happen that doctors still couldn't, can't really figure out what is going on. Um, but I have it kind of managed and that's, I started the clothing line right after my stomach disorder kind of started, but like chilled out a lot, a little bit. Like when I first, when it first started, I couldn't eat at all. Um, but yeah, making clothing where, um, I was recognizing, yeah, like, you know, wanting to have like a chest binder and wanting to have like, um, packing undies, but like also wanting the waistbands to be really, really soft or, um, so that it wouldn't hurt my stomach or having the seams, on the outside because I also have like sensory sensitivities um, that kind of go in and out of being like very noticeable and, and then um, 
a lot of my clothing, since the seams are pretty soft, I can actually wear it with the seams on the outside or on the inside. But when I was younger, I needed to have a lot of seams on the outside uh, and just w- wore all of my underwear and socks inside out for until I was like in college. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I wanted to make something that was like, yeah, for my community, for my friends. Uh, so that's what I focus on. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's really striking um, the way that, like, I your focus reflects, like, a set of political commitments that may also reflect, like, actual people in your community and your own identities, but, um, you know, just as easily could be different. Like, the idea that accessible, it's not just, like, accessible clothing, it's, like, radically visible clothing that is also accessible for disabled people and for queer people and for fat people and people at the intersections of all of those things. Um, That reflects also the kind of like emerging idea of disability justice. Yeah, um, totally. You know, the way that um, we talk about intersectionality in relation to disability, like in the sense of like people of color who are artists who are disabled leading kind of like the movement and stuff around that. So you're kind of giving us like these really tangible things to look at or to interact with and touch and um, where that, where we can say like, this is actually what disability justice is like. It's like (laughs) clothes and it's not, an abstract concept like here yeah here's here's what it's like so wow I think that that's... <laughs> that's so nice to hear oh, well, it's so true. <laughs> and it's I think it's part of um you know like and you acknowledge this I think I think in your work in a lot of different ways that like you know visibility is an important way of making legible both for our own communities and for other people like the kinds of futures we're imagining totally and then you have this like cool thing about the image descriptions, which I really want us to talk about that like, yeah. visibility isn't just about like what happens with like seeing visually. Eyes. Yeah, yeah exactly. totally. I mean, I think Alice Wong wrote uh, a very like a sentiment that I really believe in, like, like um, when I first discovered the disability visibility project, they had like a little like disclaimer being like, Oh, we're not centering only seeing people. Like we're just using the word visibility as like, yeah. Like, like, yeah. When I started the clothing line, I was thinking about like, like (sighs) radical textures and radical, like, so I've been meaning to write more about that, like diving deeper into what radical visibility means for non-sighted folks Mm. texture i think is a really helpful concept like for whatever sensory reason i think a lot in textures and when i was yeah (laughs) you know like when i think about disability activism there's actually a chapter in my book that's about like if activism had a texture and where the different textures would be so i love that i have to look at that (laughs) if, if liberalism is like everyone's 
liberalism is like smooth right it's like everyone (laughs) belongs and we're all the same yeah crip culture is like smashing sidewalks with sledgehammers and creating like raised bumps and like mixing paint with glitter and cat litter to (laughs) create grittiness like on a ramp and things like that um and so i feel like texture metaphors are like a really good way yeah um, (laughs) also of like interfacing with blind culture because there is so much hapticity and like not just in braille but in the sort of like you know art that is designed to be touched and things like that so um that's i think that's something that you're like giving us some vocabulary around too it's really interesting i'm glad (laughs) yeah so um i saw a video of a performance that you were doing that was related to the audio description oh yeah could you say a little bit about that yeah, was it the the Radical Visibility Collective performance? It must have been. I think I yeah. saw it on Instagram or something. Um, oh, cool, yeah. But it was like a dance performance, and it involved, I think, clothes that you had made, and then there, like the soundtrack was... Yeah, yeah, that's that, it. Yeah. Um, the text from the zine that you were reading earlier. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that event and the project? Yeah, so... Um... I guess I did a show at the Whitney Museum, um, like the November before that show. That sh- that show was in March 2018, um, and uh, I did yeah this show at the Whitney Museum. Usually, when I would do lectures, um, I I would like go and and do like audio descriptions right after of if it was like a lecture plus a performance. Um, but at the Whitney Museum, I was doing like a performance and a lecture and a workshop all smushed into like uh, an hour or an hour and a half. And it was like so fast. So I, I didn't really get to do audio descriptions for every outfit. And then afterwards, um, the partner of the person who curated me for that um came up to me and was like oh it'd be great if it was at the same time but like i i have like kind of sensory overload things happen for me if there's like like uh audio description that's going on at the same time as music that like like if there's like music with lyrics and then also an audio describer i would like my brain i think would freak out mm. um so uh i had been talking to my collaborator, Jake Fogues, and um, earlier in the year, they were like, oh, I really want to make some songs based off of the manifesto. And I, so right after that show at the Whitney, I was like, oh, what if we did like uh, an album where the songs were all audio descriptions? Um, And yeah, making sure that all of the models describe themselves, or they told us exactly how they wanted to be described. And then Jake would like take little bits of them like and then make them rhyme. <laughs> so they might not use the whole description, but they'd be like taking the elements. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and, and also how the models danced because, uh, you know, all the audio describers that I have met have always been like dance is the hardest thing to audio describe because there's like so many things going on. So like trying to decide what to focus on um 
So instead, we just ask the models, like, describe the way that you dance. And I think that, you know, definitely is is then representing them in a way that uh, I think a lot of times I've seen audio describers or, or I've heard, like, old white men audio describers be like, oh, like, I want to, like, make it known that this person is like gender bending or like it's not the you know or like they'll like have like weird ways to try to describe a trans person and then I'm like oh my god (laughs) you're not using any of the correct language around this and I just like get horrified so (laughs) yeah then yeah making sure the models are totally in charge of how they want to be described because I that's what I had told this audio describer when they were trying to ask me how to like talk about trans identities um I was like just ask the person you're describing and they're like I don't know and I was like what (laughs) okay I don't know what to tell you then (laughs) sounds like a lot of the discussions that are happening around kind of like alternative audio description in terms of like do you describe what someone's perceived races or like what your yeah. perception of their races like if you can't ask them or you don't know who they are if they're like yeah. a photo or their gender um, mm-hmm. and people have like really strong feelings about how, what the right thing to do is and still provide yeah. the necessary information so, yeah yeah that's a good model of a practice um, I also want to go back to something you said about describing dance because I so I just interviewed Alice Shepard a couple of days ago mm-hmm. and yes, she was nice. talking about how difficult it is to describe dance and to do it yeah. in a way that's also like its own form of artistry so what were some of totally. the um, like the descriptions and strategies for description that came about around that maybe we should ask uh, Jake here because like Jake was the one who was uh, smushing together all the the, the describing way. I, I like am not a lyrics writer at all. I and I am not a musician, so they might be a good person to. Is is that okay? Oh yeah, totally. Cool. I'll give you the headset, Jake. <laughs> hey. 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 Jake. Yay. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I was just asking Sky about um, describing dance, like how that goes in terms of like people describing these sort of like aesthetic movements for an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was like one of the most fun parts that we got back from the models, like in terms of like, I think they had really like fun with it and kind of like poking fun at different things of like ways that they dance and like so I think that that I don't know it get that kind of got the most creative because it's like movement is such a different thing to describe yeah then like a visual or something like color is a well not color isn't exactly objective but it can <laughs> it can be sometimes um a little bit more graspable but like um but yeah I think that dance it was just totally the way that people described it was like almost I don't know up to their sort of like their personality and like up to their um ways of of thinking about themselves moving through space and uh yeah I think I there was a lot of unexpected like things like I think somebody like let me see I need to like look through some of them but like um like 
a willowy queer is what somebody called themselves. Like willowy is just like an interesting <laughs> sort of like descriptive word or like, um, uh, and yeah. And since there's like, it's full spectrum of ability, uh, there were some, there's a model that did acrobatics. Like, so they described their acrobatic motion. Um, so there's kind of like a full range of sort of different sort of motions that get described. Um, but, uh, yeah, or just even sometimes like subtle motions people would describe like dropping down low, like, or, you know, like, just like, like, it's funny to think about because I bet people, and also models normally in a dance show don't get, or normally in a dance show, normally in like a fashion show or anything, don't get as much agency, I feel like, as Rebirth and as Radical Visibility Collective like hopes to offer to models in terms of like really defining themselves and like, customizing the clothing to themselves with us and then sort of like designing from there yeah very cool thank you for sharing that <laughs> totally um, yeah it's such an interesting uh set of like practices that you're offering for us to think about like you know doing in other kinds of spaces too so it's really yeah amazing. oh yeah, thank you cool. <laughs> thanks for asking no yeah. for sure <laughs> i can pass you around <laughs> we <laughs> so so based on that performance you created a zine that has images of the garments with the text yeah and the music was like was that music that you all created as well yeah yeah so uh jake uh vogues was the music director and they wrote lyrics for four of the songs and collaborated with a bunch of other uh, Chicago folks, but also, uh, you know, not local folks. And then the, the second song called Glitter was actually um, written and performed by my videographers, like punk band, cool. um, which was really cool. I, I really, I'm like, I pretty much grew up listening to punk music. So I wanted to have that kind of feel. Um, and yeah, like the last song, me and Jake and Compton sang on it, (laughs) which is like a nightmare for me because I don't, (laughs) it's very scary hearing my voice. Um, But (laughs) yeah, so it was all completely custom made and we did everything. The whole thing was within three months. (laughs) So it was like quite a lot of work. Um, But yeah, again, uh, for this next one, Jake folks will be uh, music directing and taking charge on that aspect (laughs) yeah that's very cool um so what else do you have going on what's next where are you taking these projects um i guess well i got i had a pretty big interview like two days ago which is why i'm trying to do this uh this photo shoot really last minute because if it gets up there then i'm like oh my god i need to show with all these swimsuits like right now (laughs) um yeah um I guess I I am going to be working on actually my first all black collection which seems like you know it's completely in opposition to maybe what I usually like um but I think I am interested in uh for that one, I'm I'm definitely focusing on textures. So that that one's like a um, radical texture line. Um, where did that pattern piece go? Um, so 
yeah, I, I've done like an all white collection for my friend and collaborator, Sarah Weiss for Paris fashion week, which, uh, Imani, um, AKA crutches and spice, uh, uh modeled for, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> they, she modeled for, for that collection. Um, so, and, and I, yeah, I like that one cause it was like, it was all white and holographic and clear and it definitely looked like it was out of this world. Um, but it, yeah, it was so heavily textured that people could, and like the way that it was color blocked uh, was still with those textures was still very recognizably my clothing line. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I'll be playing with that in like a black collection. And then um, I've also been working more with custom prints. Uh, so, I'll be doing like a, a printing residency at the print shop LA at the end of this month. Um, and I also had a bunch of custom prints made f- for me using um, photos of my father's oil paintings from the seventies mm-hmm. that are also very geometric and colorful. And you can see them a lot on my Etsy cause I, my studio has a bunch of them in the background. So those are like the backdrops a lot of times. Um, but yeah, so my friend Lindsay Whittle, uh, who is Sparklezilla on Instagram, made me some repeat prints of his paintings. And I did a whole collection um, within like um, basically starting a month after he passed away. Um, so it was like right after I planned his memorial and uh yeah, then I did a whole collection and showed that in uh, the Carnegie Art Center in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, so all that stuff is there right now. But once I get it back, then, um, yeah, I think I'll be working on more of those custom prints. Um, I think that's like a way to kind of level up the aesthetic by, yeah, you know, making your our own prints. So I'm also working on uh, kind of different reading level versions of the manifesto, mm-hmm. uh, starting with like a picture book with minimal words. And um, yeah, I, I really want to, um, yeah, hit, you know, bring the manifesto to different ages of folks, but yeah, also to different reading uh, levels of folks from the different kinds of age groups that I have uh, worked with for, um, my like no, so working workshops, um, like fashion and performance workshops, I'll get like similar questions from different folks. So I'm just trying to like kind of catalog those questions that I get the most, um, from each kind of level or whatever. I don't know. I don't like the levels, but what (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. Um, but yeah, then then try to answer those questions in like maybe a different each a different scene. It might be just like a series of like mini mini books or like like you know the manifesto zine is uh, a bazillion pages for a zine. It's it's forty seven pages. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's all in sixteen point font and um and like the whole end is all I have like a 
you know, six page bibliography. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a really awesome project. I'm excited to see what you come up with. Um, well, thank you so much, Sky. I'm really grateful for your time and excited to get this episode out into the world for people to <laughs> engage with. I'm excited too. Sorry, I was working the whole time at the same time. No, it was actually really amazing. I, I, I was thinking while you were doing it, like, I should really ask more people to do interviews while they're making stuff. Cause I think <laughs> it really, like, you know, it it kind of like puts you in a different like brain space and body space and stuff to be talking while you're making things. Yeah. 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 And I loved seeing your studio too. How can people support your work? Like if they're listening to this or reading the transcript, um, where are places that they can like look at your work or buy it or commission? Yeah. So you can go to rebirthgarments.com. Or you can go to my Etsy, which you can either uh, search Rebirth Garments uh, smushed together as one word in the Etsy search bar, or you can type in etsy.com slash shop slash Rebirth Garments. Again, smushed all together. Um, You can follow me on Instagram at Rebirth Garments um, and Twitter, although I am bad at Twitter. Um, And then I also have... Uh, a GoFundMe that uh, my friend Emma Alamo and I started for a trans teen who we've been supporting um, financially and emotionally, uh, et cetera, um, trying to pay for all of his education Mm -hmm. and his top surgery um, because he had to, you know, separate from a really terrifying family situation. Um, yeah, he's also, you know, person with different kinds of uh, disabilities and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to support. All cultures have rituals. Rituals can be ways to change material circumstances, politics, lived experience, or even spiritual realities. So rituals are a method for designing a better world. In disability culture, we often use rituals as ways of designing and anticipating a more accessible future. What role does ritual play in your life? And what rituals could you imagine designing to ensure a better future for you and other members of disability culture and community? The Critical Design Lab invites submissions to an art exhibition called Crip Ritual, which will be on display in spring 2021. You can submit your artworks to the exhibition for consideration via our website, www.cripritual.com, or participate on social media using hashtag Crip Ritual. You've been listening to Contra, a podcast about disability, design justice, and the life world. Contra is a production of the Critical Design Lab. Learn more about our projects at mapping-access.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. 
The Contra podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international 3.0 license. That means you can remix, repost, or recycle any of the content as long as you cite the original source, aren't making money, you don't change the credits, and you share it under the same license.